Hello and welcome to KLO Talks, a podcast for financial discussion. This is where we discuss the latest financial trends, news and events and aim to unravel the complicated world of investing and finance. So whether you're passionate about the sector or just want to understand more about the importance of optimising your finances, KLO Talks has something for everyone. Welcome to another episode of Kalo Talks, the podcast for financial discussion. Uh, it's Pete here and I'm joined by Matt, who's a member of the team at Kalo. And I'm also joined by um, Jason Williams from Blackfinch. Welcome both. Hi. Hi. So let's start off with introductions. Matt, I know you've already been on the podcast once, so people have heard your voices already. Yep. So let me start off with uh, Jason um, and just why don't you give an introduction as to who you are and what you do. Okay, thank you. Um, I am the head of distribution for Blackfinch. Um, I've only just started. I started on April the 1st, right in the middle of lockdown. So I've had the weirdest um, experience <laughs> for the last two to three months, but um, slowly getting to grips with it. Perfect, perfect. So it wasn't an April fall then? I, do you know, I genuinely thought when I walked into the office that there was going to be all these balloons and banners going off saying, well done, you fell for it. <laughs> <laughs> But then, of course, there was no office to go into. <laughs> yeah. And how, how have you found the whole lockdown situation? Um, it's been very strange because I was on gardening leave from my previous employer for three months. So those three months led into April and then um, I was still working from home. So I hadn't met half of my colleagues. So I'm now slowly starting to meet them all individually. Having seen them on Zoom mm-hmm. or spoken to them on the phone, it's quite nice now. I can see them face to face. Nice. But um, it's been a very strange experience. Excellent. And what's your role at Blackfinch specifically? What do you do with them as head of distribution? So it, it's effectively head of sales. So I'm currently building um, a sales team. We've got two um, on the road at the moment who are very, very good, very pleased with um how the team's shaping up. We want to get a couple more by next year. Then I think we're in exactly the right position. Fantastic. And Matt, you're an advisor here at KLO, so... Absolutely, yep. So we're fully independent advisor. Um, really love meeting people from different firms, different investment houses. Um, the beauty of what we do here is the fact that we're, we're not restricted in any way. Um, we can work with uh, the best people out there in the industry. Absolutely. So today's conversation is going to be about ESG because it, it is it is quite a topical conversation to have. And we have already covered it once on this um, podcast. However, with Blackfinch and what you guys do, Jason, I thought it'd be worthwhile just bringing it back to the table just to discuss a couple of the areas and how the work that you do ties into the work that Kelo are doing and with people like uh, Matt as well. So why don't you just talk us through, you know, what ESG is, the very, very high level um, parts to it. Yeah, um, I suppose the easiest way of describing ESG is a mainstream approach to um, more considered investing. So if you take uh, somebody who's got very strong ethical views, ESG is not in the same path as that Mm -hmm. having a strong view of saying um, I don't want um, any armaments in my investments I don't want any tobacco in my investments it's not like that Mm -hmm. it's much more mainstream and middle of the road we by ESG we're looking at firms that try to improve what they do on a daily basis when impacting the environment social matters and their governance and we're looking for companies who set off on the right foot it doesn't mean that they are where they need to be yet. They're trying to improve. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for companies that are trying to improve. And we see ESG as 
people looking to make a positive impact on the environment, on social matters and on governance. Are these companies easy to find? Easier. Okay. So if we were talking about ESG four or five years ago, it was a consideration. Whereas now it's becoming much more mainstream and there's more focus. I think companies realise that there's a wholesale change going on. I think clients are recognising for themselves that the world through lockdown, through various other issues, is fixing itself. Mm-hmm. And that, so we all have um, a duty to make that happen. And companies have realised, whether it's for their own social views or whether it's for their own business views, that they have to make more of an impact. So mm-hmm. they are easier to find now. Would you say that's true for you as well, Matt? Definitely. I think more people are more uh, uh, sort of conscious of, uh, of their investment choices and, and feel that they want their, their investments to be influencing and, uh, and, and pushing companies and institutions in the right direction um, rather than not. Mm. I think some people have more specific views and uh, I think it's just been said there, um, it's not for people wanting to uh, screen out certain things that they don't want to um, involve in their portfolio. It's all about pushing companies in the right way and making sure they've got the right governance um, in place and investing into companies where they have got those structures. So from your guys at, at, at Blackfinch, what do you guys actually do within this space? Specifically, when you say you're looking for these companies, how does that actually bear out in day-to-day? Well, there are various screening services you can use. Um, that's another thing that's happened over the last two to three years. Companies have come forward. You can always buy research in the market onto, mm-hmm. into any company, but there are now companies who will specifically look at the ESG side of things and give you an overall rating on that company or that fund. So we've employed um, not just one, um, actually two external firms to help us in that research. And then we conduct our own third tier research on top of that. So uh, funny enough, Kevin and I were talking, Matt and I sorry, were talking about this this morning, and um, we were looking at, you can get one company score, somebody like Facebook, really highly for ESG, and then another company on the same factor score them really badly. Mm. So you've got to interpret what that means. So for us as a company, it's taking that research and blending it and saying, right, why does one company say it's good and why does one company say it's not? And how do we feel about that? Is there a common theme in that, do you think? Or how does, how does, it, how does it get determined in terms of the different scoring? This is the, I think, and I think most companies would probably agree, this is the key to ESG investing is you have to set out your own policy of what you believe in. Mm-hmm. You have to set forward, and that can be on a positive basis, it can be on a negative basis. We choose as a firm to set down a positive screen and say we will look for people trying to do their best, look for people who are trying to improve. You can set it on a negative basis and say I will not pick any firms that don't adhere to this policy or don't adhere to that policy. But... I think we sort of hinted at it earlier, there's a huge amount going on with firms at the moment and they're trying to change their structure. Definitely. Um, I think from an independent point of view, it, it's around it, it, the different standards definitely and different approaches to, to, to SG. So being the independent advisor, it's, it's a case of really analysing. I think the, the, the analysis that needs to go into constructing portfolios and then from an advice point of view, looking at how different companies put those structures in place is, is, is key now. Uh, because just as everyone has different views on on ethics, um, different people will have standards 
different standards when it comes to ESG investing. So I think you mentioned best in class um, and positive screening best in class there is really important. So looking for best in class companies that have a positive screen. But how you interpret that? That's, that's, that's well, that's the key. That's, I think every client and advisor has to understand how it's been interpreted and applied. Mm. That's the key because you will get differences. You can easily enter into an argument over one company. And that consistency is really important, isn't it? Absolutely. And how does that then translate for you, Matt, when you're actually advising a client? So you've got a client who does want to invest, you know, on an ESG basis, on a, on a responsible basis. Yeah. How does the work between yourself actually get you to arrive at a position to say, okay, this is the right kind of fit for my specific client? I think we probably take it back a, a level. And on the previous podcast, we talked about this in terms of, first of all, understanding what approach the client wants to take. So ESG is fundamentally one of, one of three different approaches. So you would have, have either ethical investing, ESG, or you might have impact investing. Um, so we would do a style finder questionnaire, we'd really dig down. And I think this is a big difference now, whereas before conversations around investments were very generic. Um, when it comes to responsible investing, you really have to get down to, to the specifics. We'll then understand what kind of um, format of investment the client wants. At that point then, if we identify it's an ESG approach, then we'd be looking very clearly at, uh, at, at, at that specifically and then the, the, the best providers that are going to meet that client's requirements. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's interesting that uh, at Blackfinch, they're basically having a, a one portfolio um, approach. So they have an ESG overlay across their portfolio, full stop. Mm -hmm. So we know that there is an ESG consideration. Of course, then we need to look at what, that cons what those considerations are, but we know it's in place. Yeah. Um, yeah. We haven't got to worry about responsible or not because it just has one overlay. Yeah. So it's things like that that we, we, we would consider when looking at investment houses. On ESG then, Jason, you know, what are some of the, the, the myths that you find are common spread still at this moment in time? I'd say the two large ones are that to have an ESG policy uh, portfolio, or whether ethical or otherwise, is going to cost you more money mm -hmm. because the uh, options are less and that you will have to give up performance to, be, um, to invest in the way you want to. They may have been true at some point. They're certainly not true now. Um, it doesn't cost any extra. I, I suppose the one area where... ESG needs to improve is the passive market. Okay. Um, it's still a weakness in certain areas like fixed interest, but every day that's getting better. And it won't be long before we'll be able to offer a passive option alongside an actively managed option. But the actively managed option doesn't cost any more than any other actively managed. And that's not just true for Blackfinch, that's true for everybody offering the same mm -hmm. thing. And performance, you could actually argue over the last couple of years, um, ethical and ESG performance has been stronger mm. you'd have taken out some of the weaker performing areas like oil and gas and that would have enhanced a lot of portfolio so whilst it's not a you couldn't put this down as a as a as a rule there is absolutely nothing stopping esg outperforming okay and this leads me on to how you actually approach building your esg portfolios so i think you mentioned um earlier you know the positive um sort of screening but there's also negative screening as well. So how do you approach that whole? Well, the first thing we did um, as a firm was I joined in April and it was clear from what the company was doing 
that there'd always been um, an ESG screen. It had been done more as a, it's how we want to run the portfolios rather mm-hmm. than as a formal stance. So first thing we did was formalize it and say, right, as a firm, how can we go out to the market and say, you must do better if we're not doing better? Mm-hmm. If we ourselves are not ESG, how can we ask other companies to be ESG? So Blackfinch Group, which is much wider than just my side, it's the tax um, advantage side as well, um, has had to overhaul itself and look at the areas that it needs to improve to get a better ESG score. So that was step number one, was to, we're not going to be hypocritical and say, you must be ESG if we aren't. Mm-hmm. Now as a group, we are. And we then decided we wanted to work on a positive basis. Having gone through that process ourselves, we know how hard it is. That we talked earlier on, it's, I think I likened it to um, deciding you're going to listen to Bob Dylan. And you go out and buy one album and you think, right, now I know Bob Dylan. And you look down and there's 40 more. Yeah. <laughs> so you think, right, okay, I've only scratched the surface on yeah. this. And that's where we're going. We're going deeper and deeper all the time. So we decided that being negative, again, was hypocritical. We have to be positive and understand the journey some companies are on. So we've decided to employ two screening services, one which which are pretty much contrarian to each other. So one will give us a view that's positive, one will give us a view that's more negative, and we'll look at those and say, right, okay, these are the funds and companies we really believe in, but there's a few questions we need to ask. Mm. So we then apply the third tier, which is to write to the manager or engage with the manager and say, we really like your fund, but there's a couple of things we want to know more on. Exactly off the back of that conversation, it's not, it's not what you do, it's why you've done it. Yeah, it's all about analysis and then challenge, I feel. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. So we're taking the two screening services, and you can use one. And there are firms who offer a very good ESG service based on one screening. You think, well, that's fine. That's what. But for us, it wasn't enough. We recognized that some companies would get thrown out. And having done that journey, you think, well, that's really unfair because I know why they're being thrown out. We don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. So let's have another look at them from another screening service where it might be more positive and we can understand a bit more of what that company is doing. We can see how much they're investing in arms. We can see how much, if it's less than 5%, and the other 95% is on more important um, environmental issues, you think, well, most people will probably say that's an okay investment. Mm. You, know, you always have this trade-off of saying to somebody, right, do you, are you happy if we invest in companies that um, test on animals? And everyone, no, absolutely not. I don't want that. So you say, okay, so negative screen, we'll kick that straight out. But then if you come back and say, well, actually, we've dug a bit deeper, and the only test on animals is a cure for cancer. And then a few people go, actually, I'm pretty much all right with that. Mm-hmm. Some say, no, I'm still not. So you say, okay, we've looked again, we've screened again, and we've discovered they only look for, they only test on animals for cures for cancer in children. And then suddenly you get a huge sway of people saying, well, actually, I'm more okay with that mm-hmm. it's finding that balance it's doing that analysis so you can say to everybody look i'm holding this they do do some animal testing but this is why they do it or i'm holding this and another great argument is bp everybody always argues about bp and says well they're oil and gas and they're mm-hmm. destroying the planet yeah, but they invest more in renewable energy than probably any other company they put billions into it so they're trying to do better so shouldn't we be pushing them down that line and say we want to invest in you because we want you to do more in that and as long as you can tell advisors and clients that's why you're investing in them it gives you the choice to say i like that or i don't like that and that transparency of what is in the portfolio is really important as well 
um, so that you can not only agree at outset, certainly from an advice point of view, what the client's objectives are, what they do and don't want, and how they want to approach it, but then to show them exactly having delivered that, what's in that portfolio, and then review it ongoing as well. And this is where we're learning as we go along. We've now learned that we, what we should do is every six months publish everything that we're invested in the funds and the, our reasons why. So you can look at it or a client can pick it up and look at it and say, okay, I've got the choice to make. They've been honest with me and told me what's in there. It's now my decision if that fits my, my thought process. And what's also really good is because there's so much choice out there now, as we've said, um, you know, if you do make a decision, because you can make a decision to move from one stock to another, because there's more opportunity now to do that, but then probably being able to articulate why you've done that. So why you've made a change, why you've made a positive change to move from company A to B, because company A effectively wasn't performing in the way you wanted it to from an ESG point of view. And I think that goes back to the question you asked right at the beginning around, you know, is it easier? Yes, because there are more companies now who recognise there are all these big companies like us and like all the other investment houses who are saying, well, we're not going to invest in you. And, and, and companies must be really, really uh, um, sort of cognizant of that now on the basis that, you know, there are other opportunities, there are a lot more of them, and they don't want to lose that investment at the end of the day. So it right. is going to push them to make better decisions. Yeah, that's, that, that's exactly... Which is the whole premise of what ESG is about. And the duty that we have as an investment house to keep forcing these companies. And I think it will get to the point where we won't talk about ESG as a separate thing. It will be the only thing. It will become the norm. Mm. There won't be, as I think you, you were alluding to earlier, that some companies offer ESG portfolios and as we call dirty portfolios. There won't be dirty portfolios. Everybody will be pushing everyone down the ESG route. Yeah, no responsible portfolio and irresponsible version. It will yeah. just be responsible. That's got to yeah. be the aim, hasn't it? And it will happen. It will. The amount of, you know, you pick up any um, industry publication, there's a new person coming into the ESG market. There is a new fund being launched. There is a new idea. It's getting bigger and bigger. And I think even the... The more sluggish um, fund houses are recognising now that ESG, they have to have an ESG offering. Um, there's a famous story of the head of one of the very big companies in the world saying he doesn't care about ESG. His job is to return money for his investors. I bet if you asked him now, he'd have a very different mm. opinion. Yeah. But the mm. ESG companies, the ones that have embraced that, are making better returns for their investors. Yeah. Certainly through COVID and beyond. Yeah. And that's, again, that's a good position to be in. It will level out. But at the moment, the companies that you are looking to invest in are doing very well. Their performance is stronger. But th because they're a, Probably because their governance is better. Yes. Everything about them is better. Because it, and we found this. Everything becomes more streamlined. You understand your own business a lot better because you look at every element of it and say, well, why do we do things that way? We don't need to. If we're going to be ESG, we don't want either. It's simple things like lighting in your office. You think, well... I don't want the lighting on all night. I want lighting to come on when somebody walks in the room. So we'll put energy efficient lighting in. We'll put energy efficient heating in. Obviously now the office is shut, but once the office reopens, it will still be on a on that basis. And there's all those little things that you as a company start looking at and say, right, we can do better. Mm. And as you rightly say, the ones who are doing that, benefiting from better results. So how do you go about actually building portfolios then on your side of Blackfinch? Blackfinch? So we have... Um, our own asset allocation, in-house asset allocation, so we know exactly the areas we want to look at. So you know, first and foremost, every investment we make has to conform to our investment principles. 
So it can't just be, well, that's ESG, but it's not going to do, we, we need to cram it in somewhere because it's ESG. Mm-hmm. It has to fit where we decide in-house our asset allocation is going to be. So whether it's 40% in the UK, 20% in the US, whatever. Once we've got that decided, we start with the fund universe. So we start with around 20,000 funds and screen them down on an annual basis and then find the ones that we really like, which brings it down to around 2,000. Then that's when we start the third tier. We do the screening then on those funds, um, the three-tier screening to get to where we want, and then we will build the portfolio in. Um, it's not easy um, without going into names. I think you know we, we've had an issue with a very big Japanese fund at the moment. It doesn't fit. There are a few issues that the answers back haven't, um, reassured us in what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. So now we have to start the whole Japanese process again and look for something else in that space. Um, investment managers, as you probably know, become wedded to their own investments. They they love the firms that have always served them well. Mm-hmm. And when you suddenly realise that they've gone down a different route and they don't fit your positive screening, it's very hard for an investment manager to let go of that fund and say, right, well, because it could be the top performing fund in, in the Japanese sector. Yeah. And you're having to say, well, you don't fit so we've got to let you go and find another one and find the second and third best ones. Yeah. So it's a constant process of monitoring the funds and then, you know, adding and removing as we see fit. Or, you know, performance will always be a large part of this. We're not going to hold on to a top UK fund because its ESG score is really good. It's got to perform. The good thing is there's so many UK equity funds to choose from the competition's there now so how often would you do a, a real deep dive into what's in the portfolio i mean i mean obviously there's been a, an opportunity now for a real recalibration in terms of where the markets are and also what's happening in the esg space um so would you you know sort of really deep down review the portfolios regularly or, yes. or, would, or yeah. would it be in a sort of an occasional full you know sort of full review? no we do it regularly because what we don't want to get into is a situation where there's there's a large clothing firm, an online clothing firm, who've just had issues with um, possibly moving towards slavery um, or slavery issues. And you think, right, okay, well, do we invest in that? Is it covered in one of our funds? Did it pass an ESG screen and now we've just discovered this? Mm. Do we want to continue holding it? Uh Um, I think it was well publicised recently about Heathrow, that it fails on... um, it failed on the extra runway because it didn't match the Paris Accord. But then it's got the best biodiversity policy going. So you think, well, it's right. As long as we know that's getting publicity for this, right? Why are we holding it? Can we answer that question? Things will always come up. There will always be firms that you didn't know yeah. um, that had hidden from the from the world that it was using slavery. Mm. And then when you find out you don't want to be caught... It, standing there saying, well, why have you got it? You say, oh, we haven't looked yet. Mm-hmm. We don't look again for another six months. Mm. It's ridiculous. You've got to keep screening regularly so that you can always say, yes, we held it. No, we no longer hold it. Or yes, we held it. We've decided to keep it because there are other factors in play. So within the ESG space, you've got to be really on it all the time. Yeah. It's a big commitment. You can't rest on your laurels, can you? No, and this again is why we've decided to just be ESG because... If you've got three teams of, if you've got a research department that's doing irresponsible, I think it was the word you used. I think I I used dirty. I prefer dirty, but but doing irresponsible funds, half of your research is cut in half Mm. because one team's doing that, one team's doing that. We don't want that. We want all of our research going down the same areas, looking for the same issues. 
Mm. So if everything's pushing towards the common goal, mm. you know, we've got a large research team which works from on the tax side and on our side and it all blends together to do the research. You think, well, why would I split it in half? I need to be on top of these things because things change so quickly. Mm. There will be more companies come out and say they've been involved in slavery or they've been involved, they haven't paid tax for... And you, it's okay, you know, we know some of the big firms that don't pay tax in this country and that's fine. And you might want to hold them, but you've got to show to the clients that, oh, look, they haven't paid tax in the UK for the last two years. How do you feel about that? If that's a big problem for you, you may not want our funds because it's in there. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the exercise and the work that is done in the background, it's a lot of work. I mean, doing a three-tier thing, then constantly monitoring it. I'm interested to know, Matt, from your point of view as an advisor, how much comfort does that give you when you're speaking to a client to know that, you know, Blackfish are doing this kind of um, research? So one is having conversations with lots of different fund houses. I mean, you'd expect they all work in the same way. Absolutely not. They have different cultures. Mm -hmm. They have different ways of looking at things, different teams, different research capability. Um, so uh, being independent, obviously, it allows you to discuss that with your client. Um, I think the first thing to decide is do they want a discretionary offer or actually is it an ad a set of advisory funds? So that's probably the first thing I would look at. If if they want something discretion, discretionary based, working towards model, then you can start to look at the uh, you know the, the different fund houses and uh, how they might potentially offer a different set of circumstances to the client. Yeah. And then it's track record. Obviously now, track record in terms of ESG isn't as long. Um, or you know, really specifically niche area, isn't it at the moment? Mm. But, but growing rapidly, more and more people are jumping onto that bandwagon. More investment houses are getting involved in it. Um, the, the chatter is immense, I would say, um, in, in, on social media and, uh, and in the industry. Um, so uh, there's a lot of noise at the moment. So it's sitting down, having a conversation, isn't it? Um, yeah. Then analysing uh, that offer. Yeah. And you guys, um, Jason, you're only working with a select group or a select number of financial advisory firms when you talk about this because clients can't come to you directly, can they? No, we only work through financial advisors. And there's only a select number of, of firms that you... That, that you we will partner with. with, yeah. So uh, as a company, we, it's very hard to sit in... As Matt just mentioned, there's so many choices out there. You've got to be able to offer something that supports advisors as much as in their business as with their clients. Mm -hmm. And so the support program we've built for advisors, we will only offer to 100 firms. Okay. Because we will work with a lot of firms. It doesn't mean we only work with 100 firms. It means to get the support program that we've put together, we can't afford to do it with more than 100 firms mm -hmm. because we just don't have that resource at the moment. Yeah. We're just not that big a firm. We're not looking to be that big a firm. We're looking to work well with good-sized companies who will work in partnership with us. That's what we're after. Fantastic. And are there any sort of closing thoughts from, from both of you on, on ESG as a whole that you'd like to leave listeners as a, as a thought with? I, I'm excited by it. I think, I think it's uh, really moving investments in the right direction. I think it's quite general. I would say ESG is a, a, a generic way of looking at responsible investments. Um, and, and I would say that's the first step for a lot of clients if they've never been involved in responsible investments. Um, at the end of the day, if you want to dig deeper or you want more positive impact, specifically then there are other options but i think esg is a great starting point and, and there's, there's so much opportunity out there now to look at different offers and you jason yeah i think i'd add to that but if you're looking at um esg ethical or responsible investing 
really think about what it means to you as a person, what you would accept and what you wouldn't accept. Don't sort of say, well, I want to go into it, but I'll leave it to somebody else to decide if that's good or that's bad. Have a strong view yourself so that when you sit with people like me, you can say, look, this is what I believe in. This is what I'm looking for because the solutions are out there. Even if you're so far down the dark green level that there's so many things you don't want, it mm. can be done on a bespoke basis. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So really think about what ethical ESG and responsible investing means to you before you sit down with an invest with an advisor because they can then find what's right for you. Fantastic. And it's our job as well to draw out from that client. They don't know what they don't know. True. Very, very true. That's a very yeah. good point. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so if you're listening to this and um, you're looking at your investments currently and it's been on your radar that you want to take a more uh, responsible approach to how your money is used to generate you know, income for yourself or wealth in the future, then this is something that you know the guys at Kerlo are more than happy to have a conversation with you about. Um, you can book a, a complimentary consultation with Matt. I will leave his details in the show notes. But as Jason said, you know, make sure that you have kind of your view. This is something that is going to become more mainstream. And uh, there was a phrase that, um, that Jason's used uh, through this and it's pushing companies to do better. I think that's really, really important given where we are in the landscape that we exist in right now. Companies have to do better and using your money to leverage them to do better um, is always an effective way of doing it because guess what? Money basically talks. So if you do want to have a conversation with Matt, I'll leave his um, details in the show notes. But thank you so much, Jason, for joining us for this conversation. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Matt, for joining us again. Thank you. Until the next episode, take care.